Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 22. And if you can, at the very same time, put your finger or whatever in Exodus chapter 6. That would be great. Luke 22, Exodus chapter 6. While you're turning there, I'm going to quote Psalm 122, verse 6. And so if you can multitask with me, we're going to do a lot of multitasking. Psalm 122, verse 6. The writer says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Okay, you guys with me? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then says, may they prosper who love you. Y'all listening? We can't go any further until we get this part down. Okay, so listen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. That word prosper means to to find rest. It means to find peace. So let me ask you before we go any further tonight, we need to answer this question. How many of you would love to be at rest in your life? Raise your hand. You would love to have peace in your life. Raise them up high. This is important. Okay, now keep your hand raised up. At any point, if, if I mention something that you would not like peace in, you can lower your hand. Otherwise, you keep it up. How many of you would like peace in your home, in, in your relationships, in your jobs, in your finances, in your, I ran out of things. So you can put your hand down. Listen, there is a surefire way that you can find peace in that stuff, in those areas of your life. And that is this, listen to me. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for Israel. Ask God to give you a heart for the Jewish People. You know, Jesus was Jewish, right? Everybody aware of that? Jesus was Jewish. A lot of what he did, you know what? Most of what he did and most of what he said flowed from his Jewishness. Okay, so for us, as we, as we travel on this journey of faith, it would behoove us. It makes sense that we would learn as much as we can about the Jewishness of Jesus and to understand as much as we can about the Jewish culture, especially as it relates to the Bible, because when he teaches, he's teaching things from that perspective. And if we understand and even um, love to the degree, we're not Jewish, but if we can love to a great value, the Jewish people pray for Israel. I think that, that God gives us divine revelation on Jesus's very teaching and it helps us live a life worthy of the calling. Okay, tonight what I wanna do is I wanna look at some things that Jesus said and some things that Jesus did that flowed out of his Jewishness the night before he was crucified, okay? So look at Luke chapter 22. You should already be there. Let me go ahead and give you the title of this message. I don't do that very often, give you the titles because sometimes I don't really title them, I just talk, you know? But the title of this message is called This Cup, okay? So write that down. If you take notes, it's This Cup. And I'm gonna go ahead and give you my sermon in a sentence, this one sentence that'll sum up this whole sermon. The gift of freedom is given to us but it has to be accepted by us. Okay, that'll be up there for a second. Let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22, if you start reading from the top, it talks about how um, the the feast of Passover, the first of the seven feasts of uh, Israel, the feast of Passover was approaching. Okay, it was getting close to Passover. If you look down in verse eight, it says that Jesus told Peter and John to go out and begin to prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat. A lot of people think that he's just talking about going and finding that young spotless lamb, 
uh, and preparing it, killing it, sacrificing it, and bringing it and getting it ready because the, the sacrificial lamb was called the Passover. They would, it was the Passover lamb, but they would just call it the Passover. And that might have been part of it. But when he says go and prepare the Passover, really what he's talking about is go gather all the things necessary for us to have our Passover meal. And that Passover meal was called a Seder, a Jewish Seder. A Seder, the word Seder means the order. And so within this ceremony, this meal time, there were things that they would do. There was items that they would look to, to help them tell the story of how Israel was delivered out of Egypt. Okay. The order, the Seder, we're, we're actually conducting a Jewish Seder tomorrow night. I think we have 120 people that are going to be in here eating all kinds of bacon and all kinds of ham. I'm just kidding. But um, that stuff is good. Okay. So, um, and again, remember, we're doing that tomorrow, not, not because we're Jewish, but because there is a value to learning about the thing Jesus himself. He says, go and prepare this stuff. Go get the items that it takes for us to conduct this meal. If you look down in um, verse 14, it says, when the hour had come, you with me? Luke 22, verse 14, when the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, now listen, these are red letters. This is Jesus. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, to have this Seder meal with you before I suffer. And then he says, for I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, this is a very interesting things. Not only what he is saying, I really, really, when he says I, I have eagerly desired, it's like he was saying, I really, really, really really, really, really have looked forward to eating this meal with you before I die. And then he says, we're not gonna do it again until we do it again in the kingdom of heaven. He's like, there's no way, no how, get the picture, I would do this again until. I mean, he's just using very intense phraseology and the disciples are like, what's going on? And in the midst of that, he says, I'm about to suffer, okay? So he says, those things, and they're, they're curious as to what he's talking about. The mood is kind of shifting a little bit. Look at verse 17. It says, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this, share it among you. For I say, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until we, uh, now, from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Okay, so he said, take a cup. And then he says, it says, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave to them and said, this is my body. That, that is um, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You have to remember this bread, this, this particular cup and this bread. Th- these are things that they did. It was part of the Seder. It was part of the order. Things that they had been done forever. Breaking this bread, lifting it up, saying a blessing over it. But this time he says, hey, everything was as usual, as normal until he lifts up and said, this is my body. First you're talking about your death. Now you're talking about your body. You're in a weird, melancholy mood. What is going on with you, Jesus. And then if you look at verse 20, it says, in the same way, and of course we know that bread was the, the bread that, um, what we would call the communion bread. And then in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten and he said, this cup, everybody say this cup. This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So if you look at verse 17, it talks about a cup. And then here in verse 20, it says he took the cup. And so how many cups total have we talked about so far? 
two cups. There seems to be two cups that are part of the order of this ceremony. In fact, you guys, there are four. There are four cups that are um, used as almost like bullet points within the Seder meal, the, the telling of the story, the order of the events in this ceremony. Four cups that are like bullet points that are used to point to aspects of how and even why God delivered Israel out of Egypt. Four cups. And those four cups come from Exodus 6. You should already be there. Okay? These four cups... In Exodus chapter 6, God says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. You guys there? Exodus 6 verse 6. Say to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay. So you look at this and and you see, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you out. Now there's a couple of things that's going on in this passage. And you can write notes, man. If you're learning something, write it out beside your Bible. Make the note. You can even put the date. I learned this on this date. It'll be a stone of remembrance for you. Something you can always look back to. God showed me this on this date and that scripture. And I do believe he's going to show you something maybe that you've never heard, some of you. So he says those things there in Exodus 6. And he's really accomplishing two things by telling Moses to tell the people of Israel this. One, he's encouraging the nation of Israel that he was about to fulfill the promise that he had gave all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 and 17 to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. All these things are going to happen. And he's he's saying, I'm about to fulfill this. You can count on it. But at the very same time, you guys, you have to understand that this is a messianic prophecy. God is also defining the future work of Messiah, what Jesus would come and do, not just for Israel, but for all of mankind. So there's this dual thing going on in this area right here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, that Christ, he says, for Christ, our Passover, calls Jesus, our Passover has been sanctified. So you can see that this is about Israel, but it's also about the future work. Our Christ, our Passover, work of Messiah that he would deliver, okay? So that's what the four cups are about, and, and, and they're derived from Exodus 6. And what I want to do is I'll just show you those four cups real quick, okay? So put that first one up there. The four cups, these, remember, these are bullet points throughout the Seder meal that help them tell the story, recall the story, and celebrate the goodness of the Lord. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. That's what they call it, the cup of sanctification. Sometimes they would call it the cup of blessing. And it was tied to that first promise that God made there in uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 that I will bring you out. Think about this. The, the cup of sanctification. It's a big, long, churchy word. Sanctification means to, to separate. It means to take something from here and separate it from that and bring it over there. I will take you out of there and I will put you over here. And that's what God is saying. I'm about to do that. You have been enslaved for 400 years, 400 years in bondage to this evil, uh, godless nation. Well, not godless, but not serving the one true God. And he's saying, I'm about to sanctify you. I'm about to remove, remove you from that environment and from the oppression and everything and take you and put you out over here. Okay, the first cup, the cup of sanctification. Now pause. That's what this is talking about as it relates to 
what he would do with Israel coming out of Egypt. But isn't that also what Christ has done? Jesus came and by his work, what he did, he removed us from the world. You're no longer um, of the world. You may be in it, but I am spiritually removing you from the effects of the world. You are now spiritually sanctified. You are set apart. That's That's part of the work of Christ, part of his redemptive work. The second cup is the cup of plagues. By the way, it specifically says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, he says, by this, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all, we have been sanctified. The cup of sanctification, the cup of blessing, this is what God is going to do for us. He is going to set us apart. The cup of plagues is the second cup, okay? The cup of plagues, they would also cover it, uh, call it the cup of judgments. And it is linked to that phrase in Exodus 6 where he says, I will deliver you. Now think about this. He's going to bring them out. He's going to take them from here to there. And if you know the story, you've watched, you know, the Ten Commandments and Charleston Heston and all those movies, then you know that God sent these plagues to judge this evil nation. Ten plagues. You got the lies, you got the frogs, you got the pestilence, you got all of these things. They were sent to judge Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt for what they had done to Israel and for the disobedience of Pharaoh to not let his people go, okay? He sent those. Now listen, he sent that, those plagues upon that whole area to judge them. But in the midst of that judgment, judging that wickedness, he tells them, I'm going to spare you. None of, this, none of these plagues are gonna touch you. You have been set free from the power. Hear me. You've been set free from the power of that of those judgments, from the power of that wickedness. You have been set free. You have been delivered. I will deliver you. That's the second cup to remember how he sent the the plagues on Egypt. Okay, you think about Christ. Same thing. Jesus' work on the cross, what he did was to come and um, um, defeat sin and death, the power of sin and death no longer has a hold. It's been beaten. You've been set free from the power of its rules. You, you see all through scripture where it talks about how sin um, used to rule in our bodies. Our, our flesh was ruled by sin, but we're no longer slaves to sin. We sang that, you know, uh, well, we will sing that a little bit later. Um, we, they were singing it in practice, so it was in my mind. But we're going to talk about, like, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the great. Death no longer holds us bound. It, never, it no longer holds us back. 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. But those who are victorious in Christ, for them, death has no sting. Romans 8, chapter 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject. Listen, do not be subject to the yoke of slavery. Don't, don't succumb to that. It's been judged, it's been done away with. Okay, so we see how he brought Israel out from under the bondage of the Egyptians, but pointing ahead to Messiah, it was the work that he was going to remove us from the power of sin and death. So as they're, as they're getting ready and gathering all those things for the Passover and putting these, well, they didn't literally put cups in place. They had cups and they would fill it four times. So I don't know if I was misleading that there were four cups. I think I said that. But those four cups, every time they would pour a cup, it was called the 
cup of sanctification. Second cup they would pour, the cup of plagues. And it was a bullet point to remind them of things that God had done in Israel, but also pointing ahead at what the work of Messiah, Jesus, when he came and he did what he did, what it would accomplish. Jesus was going to judge sin. And where did he judge it, class? Where did he judge sin? On the cross. Okay, so the work of Christ. And then the third cup is called the cup of redemption. Now, remember this. Ever since they came out of Egypt, they had been celebrating Passover and doing this Seder and talking about those things year after year after year as a way to remember and celebrate the victory that God had over the Egyptians and the freedom that they now found. Okay, so they'd been doing this. The third cup that he would left was called the cup uh, that they would um, pour. It was called the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. And it was linked to, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm there in Exodus chapter six. The key word to make sense of this is the word redemption. That word redeemed means to, to buy back. Okay? It's like the, the currency for salvation. Okay? I am about to judge Egypt. I'm going to send those plagues. It's, it's gonna be all over everywhere. And especially that last plague, if you remember, it was the spirit of death. This one is a big one. And you need to pay attention because... Anybody who doesn't listen and obey me right here will not be spared. I am going to bring the spirit of death upon Egypt. But you will be provided with a currency to be brought out and bought out of that judgment. And of course, we know that currency was the blood of the lamb. They would kill that spotless lamb. He said, kill a spotless, a young spotless lamb and and put the blood of that lamb over the doorpost. Everyone who does that, the spirit of death will pass over that house. That's why they call it Passover. So think of it. The blood of that lamb is the, is the currency by which um, the first two cups is secure. Now think of it. Think of it this way. The first two cups are actions against oppression, the oppressive rule of Egypt back then and they pointed to the actions against the oppression that we are in the power of the world the power of sin the power of death but redemption defeats the enemy and frees God's people to be and to do what they've called it let me say it this way the cup of redemption enables the cups of sanctification and the cups of um the cup of plagues, to become realities. Let me say it again. You think about, um, he provided that sanctification. I'm gonna bring you out. I'm going to deliver you. In other words, when I bring you out, think of it this way. When I bring you out, you don't have to look back. Do you understand that? I mean, you, you don't have to think back, look back, go back. It's done. Imagine Moses and Aaron, his brother, and Miriam, his sister, and all the people of Israel standing on the edge of the Red Sea watching that water come over and crush their enemies and it's huge chasm between them and the land of Egypt. It was done. It was secure. They made it. They were out. They survived the whole thing. It, it was done. But listen to me. The cup of redemption is what makes those first two cups a reality. Because they apply that currency. They said, yes, I will take the complete freedom. 
Remember what we read? If, if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Well, they didn't have to. They were completely removed from it. He literally brought them from out of there over to here. It was done. You guys see that? And you look at it in the Seder meal and you think about that third cup. And it says, after supper, he lifted, he lifted the cup. And then he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Now think about it. They knew that this cup pointed to the currency that really enabled them to come out of Egypt, to be saved from the judgment that came upon Egypt. This is, and then he lifted that one up. That was the third cup. It was the cup of redemption. You see a cup and you see this cup, but when you realize some of the Jewish culture, some of the things, you realize that he wasn't just randomly going, hey, dude. And he said, it came to that part of the ceremony to remember the currency of the blood of the lamb. And he lifted that one up. This is my blood. And he said, take and drink and do this to remember me. Now listen to me. Remember what I said. That cup made the two previous cups a reality. The freedom, the deliverance, the salvation. The third cup of redemption made the cup of sanctification and the cup of plagues, the cup of blessing and the cup of judgments, secure, done, final deal. It's done. It's it. It's it. In fact, the fourth cup is called the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. Hallel is Hebrew for praise. And so that fourth cup was to celebrate the fact that it's done. It's done. When we are in church and we sing hallelujah, 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 it's not because we just love the melody and the way the H's and the L's roll off of our lip. We love the silent J, (laughs) you know? That's not, we're doing it because we're, we're, we're literally saying hallel, hallelujah, praise God for what he has done at the work of the cross. Now, remember, it says that Jesus was a little, a little, um, um, is out of sorts, not necessarily out of sorts, but he was very emotional because he knew what it took for this cup to make the other two realities. And that was his death. He was anticipating his death. And he was letting them know, I'm going to be gone. And there's something that you need to consider every time you gather, every day, every moment, if you can. And that's this cup. Doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have communion or have a Seder meal every day, but to remember the work of the cross. We talked about that last week. And, and I, listen, I want you to hear something. Remember in another place, Jesus said, unless you take and eat of my body and drink my blood, unless you do that, you can have no part of me. It's another way of saying that the sanctification, the blessing, the life, the judgment of sin, the power of sin in your life and, and it being gone, that won't work unless you drink this cup. Well, I don't know if that's really what he was saying. No, it it is what he was saying. This cup was so important, so significant, so powerful. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Sin no longer rules. Now I rule because the Holy Spirit of God lives in them. Remember what I said, the gift of freedom is given to us, but it has to be accepted 
by us. We love, if we were to look at the, the four cups, we love them all, but we give the least amount of attention to the cup of redemption. That rhymed. That was pretty good. The cup of sanctification. Yeah, we want it. We want to come out of it. We want, we want the freedom. We want, we want sin and death and, and all that to be judged. We want to walk in freedom, but we forget that what it takes to walk in freedom is lifting that cup. And you can't get away from it. It, Think about Jesus in the garden when he was praying. Remember his prayer. He said, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Why would he say that? You ever wondered why? Why would he say, remove this cup from me? Did he? Now you kind of understand. Jesus in the moment was was anticipating the work of the cross and he knew that it was gonna be agony for his flesh, for his soul, for his spirit. He knew it was gonna be painful. He's like, God, you can do anything. I know this is your plan, but you could do anything. You could change your mind. Could you take this cup from me, he'd already lifted up and said, this cup points to my death and the currency that you will need. This cup, drink it. Don't ignore it. Keep, be mindful of it. Do this to remember me. And then in the garden, he's like, in that intense moment of humanity said, take this cup from me. But in the end, he said, I know that's not possible though, is it, Father? Not my will but yours be done. And he went to the cross and we are able to say hallelujah, praise him, celebrate the Seder, the order, all the way to the end because of the third cup. Without the third cup, the story is incomplete. (laughs) I'm gonna end with this and what I want us to do tonight is take communion This is really good news. You think about tomorrow night, we're gonna be actually looking at all this and and going through all the motions that Jesus and his disciples would have done as best as we can, not being Jewish people. And it's so cool. And those of you who are coming, I'm super excited. If if you're not coming, I encourage you to to sign up next year. If you can find one during this season, it's probably too late now. But it's really exciting. And I think even the people, when they heard this, they should have been excited. When he heard Mo- they heard Moses say, I will bring them out, I will deliver them, I will redeem them, I will take them as my own people, I will deliver them, out, deliver them from out of the burdens of the Egyptian. It should have been the most exciting thing that they've heard. But listen to what they said. And this is what I wanna challenge with tonight. So Moses spoke these things to the sons of Israel. But they did not listen. In other words, that word listen means to hear or even obey. Like they didn't take it to heart. They didn't let it encourage them and inspire them. In fact, it says they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency, listen to me, and their cruel bondage. Real quickly, let me tell you what that's saying right there. Despondency despondency means impatience. It literally means vexed. It literally means without hope. 
So they're hearing these words. They're hearing these words, but they were so vexed by how, what and how long they had experienced the things they experienced in, the, in Egypt that they, they could not believe it, not truly. It had vexed them. You guys get the picture? It had vexed them. They were without hope on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. They were without hope because of the bondage that they had been in. Now listen to me. Here's where this, here's where we'll take this home. These cups are things that we, tomorrow night we're gonna celebrate these things. And we're not Jewish, but we can consider the, the concepts throughout. I wonder how many people aren't able to lift this cup, walk in and apply and, and, and spend, if you will, the currency of the blood of Christ on a daily basis to truly walk sanctified, set apart, different from the world. Sin no longer ruling, flesh no longer controlling, death having no sting. I wonder how many are, are unable to truly do that. Why? But just because of the despondency, there's no way. Not, not based on where I've been. Not based on how I've been bound, chained. Not the sin that I've experienced. Not the bondage that I have been in or may currently be in. No. And there's no lifting of this cup. And yet Jesus said he lifted this cup this cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. It, it, it's a new covenant. It's a new, uh, what is he, in another place it says that he inaugurated a new and living way. That the old, like it is for sure, like you don't have to wonder, just spin that currency, just spin that currency, appropriate, apply, trust in the blood of Jesus with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he, re, he, was, he redeemed Israel. And you think about the mighty hand and outstretched arm that it took for them to apply the, the blood of the post. You think about Jesus' mighty hand and outstretched arms on the cross. It's about the blood. It's about the work of Christ. And you cannot have that despondent heart. Well, here's where I've been. I, I, I could never get there. Are you kidding? He did it for Israel. <laughs> Literally. The water came down and the enemies washed away. Like there's no, there, like there's, there's not even anything to come against me. I'm completely removed and my enemies are destroyed. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Our enemy, he, he says that he has put the enemy underneath his feet, that he is beaten. Sin has no power. Shame has no place because of the victory of Christ on the cross. And so we say, thank you, Jesus.